So we enter back into the Exodus story this morning. And just as background, you remember that really where we began was with this call to Moses. And Moses, who has been raised up in the Pharaoh's household and is a child of Egypt more than he is a child of God at that point. When God speaks to him, he says, who should I say that you are? And God reveals himself to Moses and says something like, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And says, from now on, you will, they will know me. I am the Lord. And we said this word is really, if we go back in the Hebrew, we might pronounce it as something like Yahweh. But it's this divine name, this given name. And then we go through the plagues where Moses is sent to Egypt. And God says to tell them, you know, the Pharaoh, the, this powerful man, this powerful nation, let all these slaves go. Let my people go out of the lands that they might worship me. And uh, Pharaoh refuses, his heart is hardened, and there's a series of plagues that come upon them. And then we looked at the Passover and how um, Pharaoh finally relented at the death of all the firstborn, and and he lets the people go. And that's where we're going to enter back into the story. But what I want us to notice, we've been talking a little bit about God's name today, is that in the story, not only was Moses not really sure who's God's name, who God's name, what God's name is or was, Um, The people of Egypt don't know. And God says, I'm doing these things so that my name might be known, so that um, Egypt might know, the world might know. And in this story, you will hear the Egyptian soldiers saying, and remember, whenever you see that all caps Lord in your Bibles, it's using divine name. they, They say, let's get out of here. The Lord, Yahweh, is fighting for them. They now have God's name. On their lips. So let's read together from Exodus 14. The people have left Egypt. They have fled quickly. They have made their way out into the wilderness. We might say out into the desert. Chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pi Haheroth. Between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon, you shall camp opposite it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they're wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has closed in on them. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people. And they said, what have we done? Letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready. And he took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army. They overtook them, camped by the sea, by Pi Haharoth in front of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt 
that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today and you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why did you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. That you lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his chariot drivers. I just want to pause there because, you know, I love action movies and I've always been one of those people like, okay, let's get the drama over and get to the point, right? And we, we have all of this kind of build up and we're all waiting and it's, it's so important we're going to be looking at this because of the things that God says, but now we get the action. Then the angel of God who was going before the Israelite army, he moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place Behind them, we haven't we haven't read about the pillar of cloud and fire because we, unless you were reading through, I hopefully you had a chance to, but we didn't talk about it on Sunday morning. And so you know, there's this massive pillar of cloud that travels in front of the Israelites during the day to give them guidance, and it turns into a pillar of fire by night, which is really convenient if you don't have electricity, I think, right? And so this fire, this cloud, now moves between the Egyptian army and Israel. And so the cloud was there with a darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. I also want to pause here because so many of us have seen depictions of this story. And I think sometimes we think, you know, either Moses kind of went up and just went, boom, with his staff and just went, or, you know, it was sort of like he held it up and all of a sudden it split. The Israelites are sitting there with the army trying to get to them all night long. I think that's an important little piece we sometimes skip over. Verse 22. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground. The waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand out over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. 
The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, for so many of us, this is a familiar story, one we've heard many times and seen depicted many times. It's not as easy for us to make those connections, to hear your voice through it for us in our life, but we do desire this, and we ask that you would do it through your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a a few observations here as we get into the text. First of all, Pharaoh has already begun to forget the power of God. I mean, we just heard the story of all the plagues. One after another, after another, after another. Pharaoh's heart hardened, but slowly relenting. And the officials getting on the Israel side say, just let him go. Our land has been destroyed. Um, doesn't really give us a timeline here, but days or weeks doesn't really matter. You think you would have a memory a little bit longer, right? Pharaoh has already forgotten the power of God. Israel, though, also has already forgot the power of God. You heard their complaint, right? That little bit of sarcasm. What, there weren't enough graves in Egypt? You had to come bury us in the desert? I mean, it's, it's great how they, they, you know, I can hear that. Can't you? You know, that sort of just um, pessimism and lack of memory, right? Of what God has already done and shown them the power that he has revealed. They have already forgotten. They've both forgotten. And God intentionally puts them into a situation where they will both be reminded. Did you hear that in the scriptures? And if you look back in verses 1 through 4, you'll, you'll see this interesting little thing. Where God says to the, it, to the Israelites, turn back. Turn back. I mean, they are fleeing the most, what they know to be the most powerful army in the world at the time. They've gone out. Yes, they have their swords and they have their stuff. But remember, they've been slaves for 400 years. They're not trained for battle. And God says, go ahead and just, just turn back and camp in this place that's perfect for an ambush. And they they turn back. We don't get any of that conversation, but they do. And then God says, when Egypt hears that you've turned back, so you know someone's watching, keeping an eye out, right? When Egypt hears that you turn back, they're going to think, they're lost. They're wandering in the desert. The desert's going to kill them, right? And so this report gets back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh and his officials change their mind. They're like, what are we thinking? We got rid of all of our slave labor. Let's go get them. Go take them back, right? They're lost and confused. Has this ever happened to you? Where you have had times in your life when God has revealed how much he cares for you, how he's able to take care of you, how he's able to do things that you can't even fully explain, and then you find yourself in a new situation, and your memory of that seems to be gone. (laughs) 
You just can't remember it all. Okay, we're going to do something right now that I, I haven't done before. I don't think, well, maybe for a while. Um, so this can be a little uncomfortable for some of you. Some of you are going to love it. That's fine. I'm just, I like to try new things. That's what keeps me going. So I'd like you to turn to somebody right now. You can turn to someone comfortable, or you can turn to someone you haven't talked to. Someone's going to need to join Jerry. And I'd like you to maybe share a time in your life when you have been faced with a, a decision or a situation where you found yourself fearful. That can be big, that can be small. That's a pretty open-ended question, right? Everyone should have an answer to that one. So go ahead. Turn to someone. You can do twos or threes. Go ahead and take a minute and share. Go ahead and wrap up your stories. Whoever's sharing. Life certainly doesn't have any shortage of opportunities for us to experience this kind of thing. I mean, we could go through and talk about problems we've had at work or facing at work. We could talk about financial crises we found ourselves in. We could talk about um, times we've been sick or health or faced, you know, health problems or had people we care about facing health problems. We could talk about family relationship, friendship relationship issues and the problems that we face there. I mean, there's certainly no shortage of times in our life when we find ourselves in a place where the moment we're in um, brings up a lot of anxiety and fear in us. It's in fact... Um, we can blame God a little bit for this because God did create us along with the rest of the animal kingdom to have this sort of fight or flight mechanism as, as psychologists describe it where, you know, and this happens in big and small ways because we can rationalize it more than the rest of the animal kingdom, right? God made us unique in his image in this way. And so, you know, you, yeah, there's the whole thing like you heard there was a bear in Stanwood last week. I don't know if you all heard this. It got hit on the highway and then went over by the school district administration building. So they sent out a warning and said, be careful. All right. So, hey, if I'm walking through Stanwood and I see an injured bear, 
the fight or flight kicks in, right? And it's probably not fight. It's probably flight. And so, you know, and I love it. They were talking about there's another cougar sighting. I mean, I guess the animals are on the move right now. Summer, there's a cougar sighting this week. And they said, whatever you do, don't run, right? That's easier said than done because God created this, us with this. But the same thing happens in all of these other situations where we face fear. We have this tendency to either want to sort of fight back and protect ourselves and just, you know, be the tough one, be the powerful one and, and make it happen the way we want to. Or we have this tendency to turn and run away and disconnect and disengage. Or I think sometimes that turns into sort of just, you know, huddling inside ourselves and sort of burying ourselves and going into a cocoon. Listen to what God says to the Israelites in verse 13. This is what God speaks through Moses. He says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. Do not be afraid. Stand still, is how I would translate that. Stand still and see. Now, the people are afraid, and, and I have to say, I think they've got good reason to be afraid. As I mentioned, they're not trained to fight. And I, I, even today, with all of our modern technology, if I'm standing somewhere and I see 600-plus chariots bearing down on me with all their armor, um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit scary, isn't it? And they know that they're coming for them. And so God says, don't be afraid. And you have to say, God, is that fair? Is it fair to ask Tell them not to be afraid when this is going on. Fear is sort of that normal reaction we talked about. But here's what we find over and over throughout Scripture. God is able to do what we can't do. And God is able to give something else in those situations of fear. And we often describe that as peace. God's peace. So in Philippians 4-7, Paul can say, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. This idea that in the midst of fearful situations, as children of God, we have access to this peace that is actually more powerful than the fear that we face. If I had more time for stories, I think we could probably all share some situations where we've experienced that kind of peace in our life. And I would say that it is possible for us to access this peace at times when we're faced with fear. It does take some intentionality, though, on our part. I know for me, um, I need a trigger. And so one of the things I've begun to practice in my life, and this is really big in Eastern Orthodox Christianity, um, is something called the Jesus Prayer. And there's different versions of it, but the one that I say is just, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you can breathe that kind of prayer. And so that helps me with the physical connection, right? You can breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ. Breathe out, Son of God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And just and for me, that's a repetitive prayer. I say that oftentimes during my day. Not as some sort of like special mantra of protection, but it's a meditation for me. And it helps me connect in to that peace of God. And there's other ways, perhaps, that you can do this. Um, Lots of ways, but the key is to be able to turn to God in these moments. And you heard, despite everything else that's going on with the Israelites, it does say they cry out to the Lord. And the, the way they cry out to the Lord is interesting because it sounds like that complaint to Moses, right? 
Why did you take us out of Egypt to die here? Why didn't you just leave us back there to be slaves? But the interesting thing is that God doesn't say, well, fine, if that's your attitude, I'm just going to let the Egyptians have their way with you. But God still steps in in that moment. As I mentioned, it's not quite as simple as we sometimes make it out to be. And I think this is good for us to understand because in our life, sometimes we just want to snap our fingers and have God just fix it. And just instantly give us that peace and take the fear away so we don't even have to you know, deal with it anymore. But the Israelites, I mean, they're, they're camping. Not probably camping anymore, but they're there at the shore of the sea, trapped in this ambush all night long, right? As they wait to see what's going to happen as the wind blows. So there's nothing about that situation that's comfortable for any human being. This pillar of fire and smoke that God is enveloping in this natural wind storm that's happening and this terror of night and what's going to happen in the morning. The NRSV and others translate this um, as God saying, stand firm. Moses saying, God saying through Moses, stand firm. The, the Hebrew word here that's being translated and so other translations, if you have like an NIV, um, translated differently. The word just means to be quiet and passive. So it's not the whole stand firm like like you might picture it because that's, that's why it helps me. Because I think, hey, the army and the chariots are coming, so get your spears and stand firm. Like hold the battle lines, right? But it's not that kind of stand firm. It's actually be still. Be quiet. Which is, again, why there were moments in Jesus' ministry when the disciples who were well-versed in these stories saw the connections. You remember the storm at sea? And you remember Jesus speaking to the storm and saying, peace, be still. And they go, who is this? <laughs> right? So stand still, God says. Stand still. I mean, just imagine the panic of the scene when the Egyptian army comes over the horizon. And what they must have been doing. People running everywhere, packing their stuff up. Untrained warriors trying to get their sword belts on and doing the whole thing. And kids and animals being herded. And they had their livestock with them. I mean, just absolute chaos and panic. In the midst of that, the message stand still. How often we find ourselves scrambling in life. Running all over the place, wrestling, trying to, trying to get control of those situations so that we don't have to be fearful. Trying to make it work ourselves. That's, the, that's really that fight mechanism coming into play. And so we go harder. We work longer. We try to get more money. We use up more of our time. We run over people in our lives on the way. It's chaos. <laughs> John mentioned the project, the project we did our last service Sunday at Cedar Home Elementary with the baseball field. And, um, you know, my, my tendency when I get into you know, big projects like that is like, you know what, if I just bear down and go harder, you know, and it just seemed like the harder we all put work and effort into it, the worse it got. Because it was just a swamp, right? And we just kept pushing, pushing. It's like, we got to get this done, you know, and we... And I don't, I don't know at what point, after how many hours, God finally said, uh, it's not happening. You know, you're not going to get this done today, right? You're going to have to give up some control on this. But I imagine a lot of you can relate to that in your life. How you do that. How that's our tendency. Psalm 
It's a great psalm. Read the whole thing, Psalm 46. But in that psalm is that phrase, Be still and know that I am God. One of my favorite psalms of this day. Um, Be still and know that I am God. Anyone else know that? Be still and know that I am God. Just over and over. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46. It is, again, possible in the midst of that desire to take control and rest control. But we have to be intentional here. We have to build in some stops for ourselves, some check-ins for ourselves. Which is why I think it's so valuable to have a time in your life when you spend some time in God's Word. Whether that's early in the morning, whether that's late at night, whether that's in between on your, you know, listening to audio, an audio version in your car. I mean, it doesn't matter, but just building in, finding a spot where you can check in during your day and say, God, am I trying to do everything? Am I trying to be in control? Am I allowing myself to be still in your presence? And then the last thing God says to them is see. So what they have to do is to be still and see. The salvation of God and in RSV says deliverance It's often translated salvation that carries that meaning. The salvation that the Lord will bring for you today. You see, the Israelites are using their eyes. And what they see is a giant army coming their way. And God says, if you're still and you trust in me, I'm going to let you see something different. You're going to see my salvation. You're going to see my deliverance. They had already forgotten what they had seen in Egypt. They'd already forgotten the power that God showed them through the plagues. And we know how hard it is in the moment that something is happening to see what God can do. I think of this most often in relationships. Um, you know, when we're in, we're in relationships, I don't care if it's with a family member or with a coworker or anyone else. You know, we all know that feeling when our face starts to get kind of like we can feel the blood coming up and you're getting hot and you feel your body just get, it's the same, you know, I mean, you know, if you want to study it biologically, it's the same hormones that come in in fight or flight. It's the same hormones that you have when you face a bear that is coming up in you when you're standing in front of grandma and she's making you mad. I mean, isn't that kind of weird that we're made that way, but it's true. And it's hard in those moments when we have someone, especially if you have someone who's attacking you, who's belittling you, who's saying something to you that's unfair, that's untrue, when someone's treating you in a way that's not right. It's so hard for us to be able to see with God's eyes in those moments. This is something I, I know I'll be working on the rest of my life, but it is, again, possible to see with God's eyes. I've been so grateful for mentors I've had in my life who've told me as a pastor that when people come to you, and they've told me this and remind me again and again, when people come to you with something they're angry about, you know, that guitar music was terrible on Sunday. I, mean, I haven't had anyone come that way yet, but it could happen, you know. Um, to recognize and to see with God's eyes means to be able to say, in front of me right now is a hurting human being. And so often you will find, if you can avoid entering into the fight, you will find that behind what's going on is a lot of pain. And it's probably nothing to do with what they brought to you. Probably nothing to do with what they brought to you. I have um, I had a kid on my baseball team who um, 
is a great kid, man, great baseball player. He's an 11-year-old, and um, all season long, he was just one of our most constant, solid players. And then we had this game where he was just absolutely falling apart. He was talking back to coaches. He was doing all these things that were uncharacteristic. And of course, you know, this is my control and manager in me, and I want to make things right. And, and I found the Holy Spirit just checking me. And so I went and had a conversation with his parents afterwards, and I found out that at home, things are just absolutely falling apart in his parents' marriage, possible moving to a new location, this whole thing. You see, it is possible to see the salvation of the Lord when those times are hard, but we have to be willing. We have to be willing to put ourselves behind a little bit in order to do that. God may just want to use you as that element of healing and salvation, just as he used Moses and said, Moses, I mean, Moses' staff doesn't have the power. It's God's power. But Moses becomes the one that they see. They see the Egyptian army. Now God said, I'm going to give you something else to see. I'm going to let you see my servant holding up his staff and this powerful thing happening in the, in the sea, this miracle that's going to save you. Finally, the last thing I just want to say about this text um, Christians throughout you know, the centuries have seen in this text an image of our baptism for good reason. And that is because there's uh, New Testament writers who say that while this Exodus event was really the birthing of the people, you heard at the end of the story, they said now they feared the Lord and they, what did they say about Moses? Something about Moses, right? It was that last, last line you read. So the people feared the Lord and they... They believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. This becomes the new defining event for them as they cross the sea. And it will be something that they will look back to over and over and over again. And remind themselves of. In the same way, for Christians, um, we believe. And so yeah, I was talking about the New Testament writers. So if you look at Matthew 2.15. In there, we see that the writer of Matthew says that out of Egypt, I called my son Jesus. Because remember, Jesus had to flee to Egypt with Mary and Joseph, and then he comes out. And so Jesus becomes this fulfillment. What he brings is fulfilling what only came in part before. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, too, there's a longer section where Paul is, is using this event and talking about it. And it, you get the sense that it wasn't quite complete. Paul says... That God wasn't happy with many of them. And then he goes on to talk about how Jesus completed that. And he truly made a people because of his death and resurrection on the cross. So for Christians, when we think of the Red Sea, we've often thought about our baptism. And whether you were baptized as an infant, whether you are baptized as an adult at a time you can remember, whatever it is. um, We always call back to that and say, we walked through the waters too. We were going to be dead but we became alive in Jesus Christ. And through that, we have something that we can, we can draw upon. We can turn back to. We can say to ourselves, don't be afraid. Be still. See what God is doing. So I would challenge all of us to just think about how we might work this out in our life this week. Maybe we already know some of the situations we're going into. Maybe we're just saying, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to remind me the first time I get surprised. The first time I feel, feel that anxiety and fear. To turn to God and say, God, I need your peace. God, I want, to, I want to see you with your eyes. God, I want to be still and watch you work. 
in this situation. Let's pray. God, I lift up to you the days ahead, the hours ahead. For all of us, we know that we're often surprised and caught off guard by situations that are hard and difficult, situations that bring up a lot of fear in us. Help us both to remember the ways you have brought us through in the past, but also to be attentive to your Holy Spirit in receiving the power that we have through our baptism to be still, to see you at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.